0: Hebrews 11, no Hebrews 12, sorry, Hebrews 12, verse 5 to 17, and the theme for the message is Divine Discipline. Hebrews 12, verse 5 to 17, Divine Discipline. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we open your word, trusting that the Holy Spirit is in our midst and that the Holy Spirit will work as the Word is proclaimed, pleading with you, asking you to open blind eyes, asking you to remove hardened hearts, asking you to make hearts soft and tender to the call of Jesus Christ, the Saviour of sinners. We pray that the Word would come with mighty force and power and that the Holy Spirit would transform hearts and lives through the power of the word of the living God. Amen. Our society, there's really a breakdown of discipline in our society. Look at schools. Uh, children are undisciplined, and the teachers are fed up. Uh, even in homes, South African law was passed earlier this year's this year that spanking your children is illegal and that you can be prosecuted for it. Uh, Even churches, most churches don't practice church discipline. And even if you look at public services like the police, um, if you, let's say, go 25 years back or more, 30 years back, the police were fit physically and they were very neat. And now, well, they are overweight. And ill-disciplined. God wants us to live a disciplined life. He wants Christians to be disciplined. And that is why He sometimes disciplines us. Now, it's not that we believe like monks that uh, you can earn God's favor by being disciplined. Or by disciplining yourself. And yet, discipline is necessary if we want to get to heaven safely. And sometimes uh, God's discipline is corrective, so you have done some sin, you've done something wrong and the Lord disciplines you through difficult circumstances or some trial. And then uh, other times discipline is formative, it's, it's not corrective, it's formative discipline. So, for instance, if you tell your children to wash the dishes, to make up their beds, to pick up their toys, to clean their rooms, it's not Punishment for some sin, but it's teaching them a disciplined life. And that is exactly what the Lord does to us. He teaches us to live a disciplined Christian life. First of all, we're going to look at God's purpose in discipline. God's purpose in discipline. And that is in verse 5 to 11. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It's for discipline that you have to endure. God's treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father doesn't discipline? If you left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them So, God's purpose and discipline firstly is to show that you're His child, and that is in verse 5 to 8. Who spanked you when you were a child? Well, obviously, the person who raised you, in most cases, your parents. And in the same way, God disciplines us to show He is our Father and we are His children. He has adopted us, He's adopted us as sons, it says doesn't mean daughters aren't included, but the sons were the heirs. And so all of us, men or women, if, you, if you're a Christian, you're a son of God. So we are children of God. He's adopted us to become heirs of his kingdom. We inherit the kingdom. And you see that over and over in verse 5 to 8. Sons, sons, my son, sons. What a great privilege God has given us to be children of God, be, to be adopted as sons, To all those who have received him, to them, he has given the right to become children of God, John tells us. And it's when you forget this that you start thinking, yes, my suffering, oh, my suffering is for no purpose at all. I'm just suffering, and it's so difficult, and it's so hard. But if you know the Scriptures, if you know God's Word, then you know. God has some purpose in your suffering. That is why verse 5 starts, Have you forgotten the exhortation? The reason you thought there's no purpose to my suffering, you Hebrew Christians, I'm just suffering and this is not nice, is because you've forgotten God's word. You've forgotten Proverbs 3 verse 11 and 12 that he quotes. And so for instance, <clears throat> for instance, God disciplines us so that we will respect him, so that we will honor him. It says, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. So honor God, fear God. So that you don't, you don't start ignoring God's discipline. You take it lightly. You ignore God's discipline and you think you can just continue in the way of sin. Don't take it lightly. So turn back. Even, even when the discipline comes, when difficult times in your life comes, and you're not aware of some specific sin, well, there's always something as a Christian, something we can lay down, something we can turn from so that we can become more like Christ and pursue Christ. And if you start, if you start rebelling against God's discipline, well, what, what the Lord is going to do is really going to make things harder and more difficult until you listen until we obey until we subject ourselves to God submit to God as we learn in this passage and I'll, I'll get to the verse later on and explain it a little more it's like when my children were small and we spanked them for disobedience um, if the child wriggled like a worm not wanting to lie still in your lap, then they get an extra spanking because they are refusing to submit to the discipline. And that's just by way of illustration to say we must be very serious about God's discipline. And yet, on the other hand, don't become weary, verse 5 says at the end. Don't become weary when reproved by God because, obviously, the discipline is painful. Um, When it speaks of chastisement in verse 6, for instance, the Greek word literally means being scourged or being flogged, like with a short whip, you get flogged. And now it says, yes, discipline is painful. It is painful. But instead of becoming weary, why not rather think of the reason? Why is God disciplining me? And the reason is to show that you're His child, to show He loves you. He does not want you to continue on the path of sin, go in the wrong direction. He wants you to turn back because He knows that will be destruction if you continue on this way. So He disciplines you. He wants us to turn back to the right path. It's like running barefoot. And if you run barefoot in the thorns next to the road, you very quickly realize I shouldn't be running next to the road, I should run on the road. And so the discipline helps us to turn us, to reprove us, to turn us away from the wrong path and onto the right path. That is why he disciplines. Verse 7, it's for discipline you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. Verse 6, the Lord disciplines the one he loves, chastises every son whom he receives, just like any father does. Uh, In the book of Proverbs, you see the father disciplining his son. Um, And that is what Jesus does in the book of Revelation. Those whom I love, I discipline, Jesus says. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 5, God speaking of the people of Israel in the desert, in the wilderness. And it says, Know then, in your heart, that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord disciplines you. That's exactly what we read in Hebrews 12, verse 5 and 6. And then also remember, discipline, it's simply part of the Christian life, verse 8. If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, that's part of the Christian life, you're going to be disciplined sometime or another because we still sin, and any good father and every good father disciplines his son and shouldn't our heavenly father do the same? Verse 7, middle of the verse. What son is there whom his father does not discipline? And so then we know our Heavenly Father is going to do the same. If He does not discipline you, it shows you're not His child. Verse 8, at the end. Then you are illegitimate children and not sons. In other words, it says you're not saved. You're not saved if the Father in Heaven does not discipline you. So discipline is the privilege only of believers. So that we do not stray and turn aside from the right path. I remember two years ago, a man asking me, (coughs) listen, I'm not a member of this congregation. I'm not a member of any congregation. In fact, I'm not a member of this congregation. If I really mess up and turn into the wrong way, will the church discipline me? And I said, No. And then he he tears shot into his eyes and he said, so I don't have that privilege. And I said, no, unfortunately not. It's only for, for our church members. And he was really sad. He really got it. He got it. He understood discipline is a privilege to turn you away from the wrong path. And so we also, we should see discipline as a privilege instead of thinking, oh, God is punishing me because he hates me. And I think if you have that mindset, that discipline is a privilege God gives to His children, then it will help you to bear the suffering. And then also another purpose of discipline is um, to shape your character. That's in verse 9 to 11. (coughs) Any parent who does not discipline his child, well, that child can become a brilliant sportsman or outstanding in academics or culture, Performance at school, but that child will have a rotten character. It'll become, it'll turn into a child, he or she will turn into a child. I always want my way. No respect for authority, no self discipline, never thinking of the consequences of their actions, his or her actions. But if you have a parent. Who disciplines the child in the right way in a biblical way then you're going to have a child who will respect that parent verse 9 eventually besides us we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them and that's exactly how it works with our heavenly father the father of spirits the father who created our spirits the father who gives us spiritual life verse 9 middle of the verse shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live so what god does is he disciplines us to shape our character and really, it's not, it's not the discipline that shapes your character. It's how you respond to God's discipline. As we read in verse 9, be subject to the Father of, of Spirits. So if you're going to be like a two-year-old kicking and screaming when you get disciplined, you're not going to grow but if you submit to your father when he disciplines you and you submit to his discipline then you are soft you are tender and he can start shaping you as a potter shapes clay to make something beautiful submit your hand, yourself under the mighty hand of god so that at the right at the proper time he may exalt you <coughs> you see uh, discipline is one of god's means it's one of the ways that god uses to save us from death and to keep us on the way to life. Verse 9. Shall we, middle of the verse again, not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live. So the discipline turns you, turns you away from the path of death onto the path of life. It turns you back to the path of life. Proverbs chapter 15, Solomon says in verse 10, a similar thing to what I just read in Hebrews. Proverbs 15, verse 10 There is severe discipline for him who forsakes the way. Whoever hates reproof will die. So we need verse 9 in Hebrews 12, end of the verse, so that you subject yourself to the Father of Spirits and live, not die. So we need to see our discipline just like we saw discipline looking back at the discipline our parents gave us when we were children. They only disciplined us for a few years, and then we became adults, and it was no longer necessary for the discipline of our parents. Verse 10, for they disciplined us for a short time. It says, and that's exactly how God disciplines us. It's only for a moment. It's only for a short time. This life is not very long before you rub your eyes out. Your life has passed, and you with Christ in heaven. Verse 11, for the moment all discipline seems painful, rather pleasant. This slight momentary affliction Paul speaks of in 2 Corinthians 4.17 For a little while you must suffer. 1 Peter 1 verse 6 and chapter 5 verse 10 So don't, don't throw in the towel don't give up when things are really hard and things get difficult. Endure to the end. Endure to the end. And then the author continues and he says in verse 10 Our parents or our fathers disciplined us for a short time, as, seemed, as it seemed best to them. So how they thought it would be best. And often they did it right, but often they did it wrong. But God is not like that. God is a perfect Father. He's the perfect Father, Jesus said in Matthew 5, the final verse, 48. He's the perfect Father, and so He doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't err like our earthly fathers do. God always disciplines us for our good, for our benefit. Never. He never disciplines us and it's going to work out for the bad. And He's got some evil purpose in mind. No. Verse 10. Middle of the verse. God disciplines us for our good. So any suffering you might experience at the moment... It's a love letter from your Father. It's a love letter from your Father. It is handmade because He wants to do you good through that suffering, through that discipline, whether it's formative or corrective. Verse 10. Disciplines us for our good. Now that does not mean if God brings these things, or let's say on the other hand, what it does mean It does mean if He disciplines us for our good, God will never let the trial go longer and just unnecessarily extend the trial just because He wants to. Uh, Or cut the trial short before He has accomplished His purpose with you. Job said, He will accomplish what what He has purposed for me. So we need to learn to bow the knee before Him under His discipline and to accept His will. And the, the fact that the discipline is for our good, that does not mean you're always going to get a better job if you've just lost your job. That's not what it means. What it does mean is, is that God will make you more and more like Jesus. He will shape your character. He will make you more and more holy. He will, he will change you so that you become mature in your character as a Christian. End of verse 10. He disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. Romans 8, he works all things. We know that he works all things together for the good of those who love him, for those who have called are called according to his purpose. And then verse 29 speaks of what that good is. It, it says that we may be conformed to the image of his son. Now perhaps it just feels you're, you're suffering at the moment, your discipline, it feels to you, the Lord just wants to hurt me. Like children feel. They feel the same way when they go to the dentist. The dentist doesn't want to help me, he just wants to hurt me. No, he wants to help you. And verse 11 says, For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Listen, God is not a sadist. God is not someone who enjoys disciplining his children and he enjoys seeing them suffer. Lamentations, chapter 3, verse 33 We read, God does not willingly afflict or grieve the children of men. No, God is like a farmer. God is like a farmer. He comes and he prunes the fruit trees. He prunes them so that they can bear more fruit. Verse 11, middle of the verse, later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Jesus said a similar thing. We are pruned to bear more fruit. So if you humbly submit and you bow under God's rod of discipline, like verse 9 said at the end, be subject to the Father of Spirit. If you humbly bow under His rod, then you will have a good character in time. You'll be like a tree and you, you'll start bearing this peaceful fruit of righteousness, verse 11 says. What does that mean? Peaceful fruit of righteousness. Well, what it means is The more you bow the knee, the more you submit to God's discipline and your character takes shape, the more you start going, you're going to start living a righteous life, the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And the more you start living a righteous life, the more you start enjoying God's peace, the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Um, Isaiah 32 verse 7. The prophet says, listen to righteousness and peace in the verse. The effect of righteousness will be peace. The result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. So you're going to start becoming like a tree and you've been through many droughts and many storms. You've weathered them and you've learned to anchor your roots deep in the earth. Deep into the earth. And so through trials, God teaches us, do not be anxious, trust my goodness, trust my wisdom, trust my power. And so later on what happens, in the trials, you can start having peace. Not only after the trial, in the trials, because you know God is doing it for your He is disciplining you, verse 10, so that you may share his holiness, verse 11, so that later on you yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And then what happens is now you no longer think, oh, I'm going through this difficult time because God is angry with me. God has forgotten me. You, you, you're not frustrated anymore in your trials, frustrated and confused and anxious and impatient and angry and, and afraid. But you have, rather you have this deep peace. A peace that you cannot describe to anyone. You've been trained into verse 11 in these trials, in this, disi- this discipline. Now, I know for a fact I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet where I can say, oh, in the trials I have this absolute peace. Sometimes we have them. We have it, but, but I'm definitely not there yet to say I can go through them and have a an absolute peace. Uh, what about you? Are you there yet? Well, may the Lord help us to see that our suffering is not without purpose. But that God has a good plan in our suffering, in our discipline, and through our discipline. And So let us learn to believe God understands what He is up to. Even though we do not always know what is going on. Second, all right, so that was first. Uh, number one, number two, your response to discipline. Your response to discipline, and we just looked at God's purpose in discipline. Okay, your response then is verse 12 to 17. Let's read, therefore. Who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward when he desired to inherit the blessing he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent though he sought it with tears. So your response to discipline first of all in verse 12 and 13. (coughs) Is take heart and persevere. Almost 10 years ago when my family and I went to Cape Town for a holiday we decided to drive through the night, straight through the night. And so my wife and I took these fizzy tablets, energy drinks, um, to keep us awake. And so when you take a fizzy tablet, after a few minutes, you're really, really awake. Very suddenly you're awake. <clears throat> and that is exactly what we learn from this verse, verse 12. Therefore. Because what it does, it, it, it connects verse 5 to 11 to verse 12 to 17, and what it's saying is, verse 5 to 11 is the fizzy energy drink. Verse 5 to 11, if you understand, oh, God has a purpose with this discipline. He's got a good purpose in mind. Then suddenly, you're awake. You have new strength. Your strength is renewed, and now it helps you. That mindset, it helps you to strengthen Your drooping hands and your weak knees to lift those drooping hands because your hands drooped why verse five five at the end you you were weary when you got reproved by God you got weary of the discipline all the suffering and trials and so now it helps you wait God has something good in mind and you pick up the drooping hands you strengthen the weak knees and now once again you look to Jesus in this race, and you keep on running, you keep on running, you keep on running. And so it really helps you, this mindset. Oh, God has a good purpose in mind. It helps you to run the race. It helps you not to continue on the crooked ways of sin, but to turn back, to turn back to the straight path, the straight path of obedience. Verse 13. <coughs> Excuse me, make straight paths for your feet. It comes from Proverbs 4 26 and 27, and Matthew 7, even speaking of the narrow way and the straight way. So, is that where you are walking? Are you on the straight path? Or have you responded wrongly to God's discipline and you've chosen the path of sin? Well, then you should see God's good purpose with your suffering and please turn back, turn back. If you do not do it, Well, it says in verse 13, what is lame will be put out of joint then. You don't want it to be put out of joint, but it's going to if you don't repent and turn back to the good path. If you're still on the road with bumps and potholes and rocks, well, those weak knees are going to be put out of joint. And what it really means is you're not going to continue the race. You're going to fall out. In other words, you are going to be lost. So why not not rather ask the Lord please strengthen my weak knees give me grace, give me grace to strengthen and heal these weak knees and drooping hands so that I can persevere to the end verse 13 that it may be healed rather be healed end of the verse like in in Galatians 6 verse 1 anyone who is caught in sin those who are spiritual should go and they should help that brother right? In a, obviously a gentle spirit, it's like what is out of joint they must help to mend, or the broken bone they must mend. It mustn't be put out of joint. Verse 13 at the end, it must be healed. The person must be healed spiritually. Alright, another way to respond to discipline is pursue what is good. That's in verse 14. Any, any cross-country athlete If they're a good cross country athlete, they don't just try to dodge every stumbling block, every hindrance, every obstacle. They also think of the middle, think of the finish line. I want to keep on going. And the same for us. In this race of the Christian life, don't just try and dodge the hindrances, the stumbling blocks, the obstacles of sin. But also pursue what is good. What is the good that we should pursue? Verse 14. Strive for peace with everyone. And that's especially necessary during times of suffering and trials and discipline. Because when you go through trials, well, very often you become irritated with other people. And uh, and now it says rather strive for peace. Maybe you even start fighting with other people. Rather strive for peace with everyone. And so yes we learned in verse 11 that in the end God's discipline will lead to peace. But now it says because the peace is not going to come automatically and just immediately, we need to strive for peace verse 14. Strive for peace, especially in your relationship with others, as we learned there. Romans 12:18 the same, 1 Peter 3:11 and several other verses, even Romans 14:19. Striving for peace, striving for peace. Do you have peace? With others. Do you have peace in your relationship with others? What about the next one in verse 14? Strive for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Are you striving for holiness? Now holiness in this verse. Holiness has nothing to do with some uh, religious ritual. Holiness is to do with, with a life where you are set apart. You are separated from the world for God. You are devoted to God. Like in Hebrews 10, <coughs> verse 10, uh, we have been sanctified through the offering of his body. Verse 14, we have been sanctified. We've been perfected. We are being sanctified. So it's a once sort off thing. In one sense, you've been set apart by God from the world for himself. That is positional sanctification in theology. And then it's also a thing that continues called progressive sanctification, your spiritual growth. Be holy, for I am holy. <clears throat> so, so holiness here, it's, it's all about a life of obedience. A life of obedience to God. And discipline is one of the means, one of the ways that God uses to accomplish this purpose of holiness in your life. So that you can become holy. End of verse 10 again. That we may share His holiness. That's why He disciplines us. And now again in verse 14. You must pursue that holiness. So we shouldn't just want to get rid of of the discipline. I want to get rid of the suffering. I want to get rid of this trial. What we should do is we should ask ourselves, what is God trying to teach me? How can I be more holy? Like a friend taught me. Um, I, I went through a very difficult trial in 2018 and This friend encouraged me saying, remember, the Puritans used to say, God sets his seal on the wax when it is soft. And so in the same way, uh, God sets his seal on us when we are tender. We are tender when we suffer. uh, When we go through trials. And he said, brother, I want to encourage you. uh, Spend extra time asking the Lord what he can teach you through this trial. And then I started doing that. I stopped praying, Lord, let the trial go over. And I started praying, Lord... What do you want to teach me in this trial? I don't want to get through this trial and come out on the other side and I haven't learned what God wanted to teach me. So I started asking Him to teach me. What do you want to teach me, Lord? Help me. I submit to you. Now what will happen if you do not submit to God in the discipline and you do not pursue holiness? Well, the author tells you in verse 14, you will not see the Lord. You will not go to heaven. If you do not pursue holiness, if you are not positionally holy and progressively holy, you will not go to heaven, you will not see the glory of God. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God. Paul said, those who are sexually immoral, those who are impure, those who are covetous, that is an idolater, they have no part in the kingdom of God and Christ. Revelation 21, only those who are clean, the unclean, will not enter the Heavenly Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem. Revelation 22, 15, outside are the dogs, the sexually immoral liars and so on. And so if you are not holy, you will not see God. So we must pursue holiness even in our discipline and trials. And then also our response should be, finally, verse 15 to 17, to look out for one another. I'm not saying watch out for one another meaning be careful, I'm saying look out, look for the needs of others and how you can help others. So the comrades marathon for instance, the comrades marathon comrades, a comrade is is a friend. Um, So it's your mate. Right, so a comrade the comrades marathon is really a marathon meaning where friends help one another to continue and to finish the race. And that's exactly how we should help one another in the Christian race. That's that's what the word means in verse 15 see to it. That word see to it in Greek literally means to have oversight of, and that goes for spiritual leaders, like Hebrews 13, verse 17 teaches us. That the spiritual leaders, it speaks of them, those who are keeping watch over your souls. We should be on the lookout for one another. Is this person still running in the race? Has someone turned around? Is someone starting to drop out? Is there someone with weak knees and drooping hands? And that not only goes for the leaders, see to it, that also goes for everyone in the church. Chapter 3, verse 13, Exhort one another every day as long as it's called today. Chapter 10, 24, and 25, Stir one another up to love and good works. And so on. So practically that would mean, for instance... That we need to contact one another. If you see someone hasn't been here for a while, call them. Contact them. Send a message. Is everything fine? You're doing alright? Haven't seen you for a while? How are you doing? And then if someone is busy with a life of sin, then we need to do Matthew 18. Verse 15. Where you go to the person and you speak to the person and say, this is not right. Or even rebuke the person. To say, you're on a wrong path. You need to turn back. Now, perhaps you're afraid of doing that, but would you, would you have liked them to do it for you if you were in the issues? If you were busy straying off the narrow way, would you have liked someone to care enough to call you back to repentance? Well, then do the same for your neighbor. And if you're scared, and I know we're scared, but ask God's help and say, Lord, please, you said in Matthew 18, if we ask you for help in a case of discipline, you will help us. And where we gather in your name, you are with us. You are with us when we do this. Matthew 18, verse 19 and 20, in the context of church discipline. So we, we must be on the lookout. We must see to it that no one falls behind in the race. And if, in the end, misses heaven. Verse 15, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. And then also that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. No root of bitterness that starts influencing the rest of the people in the church. Now this can mean, and I don't think this is the meaning, but I think it's a possibility that it can mean pursue peace, verse 15, and don't be bitter. Pursue peace, verse 14, and don't be bitter, verse 15. So it can refer to people who've become bitter and they're not pursuing peace. But I think the better interpretation is this is referring to someone who is rejecting Jesus. They've rejected Jesus, and they're in danger of becoming apostates, of turning their backs on Jesus completely. And that's the kind of person who's got a bitter root, and therefore he's bearing bitter fruit. And that bitter fruit is poisoning the church. It's starting to poison others. And it's influencing others to start becoming apostates, to start turning their backs on Jesus. They're following this bad example. So the leaven is spreading. The yeast is spreading, and that interpretation it really fits the context of Hebrews because the whole book it's a warning against apostasy, about against turning away from Jesus, and it also fits um, Deuteronomy 29. The cross reference, verse 18 to 20. That's where this is taken from. Deuteronomy 29, verse 18. Beware lest there be among you a man or a woman, a clan or a tribe whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God to go and serve other gods, the gods of the nations. Beware lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. One who, when he hears the words of the sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart saying, I shall be safe though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. This will lead to the sweeping away of moist and dry alike. The Lord will not be willing to forgive him. In other words, the unpardonable sin, the sin against the Holy Spirit. Be careful. So what should we do with someone like that, where there's a root of bitterness? Well, we should should remove the person from the church. We should excommunicate the person to stop his or her influence from spreading. Now, it's sad. It's sad that we have to do that but Jesus said so in Matthew 18 verse 17 remove him from the church let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector or 1 Corinthians 5 remove that person that's the only way and in many circumstances that's the only way to stop the gangrene from spreading so if, we, if we're going to stop this influence of such people well then f- next in verse 15 we also need to see or 16 at least that no one is sexually immoral Chapter 13, verse 4, there's a warning. Let the marriage bed be held in honor among all. Let the marriage or bed be undefiled, for God will judge a sexually immoral and adulterous. Like in Revelation 2, where they actually had to discipline Jezebel, but they didn't for her sexual immorality. Is there anyone listening to this sermon? You're sexually immoral? You need to repent, go and sin no more, Jesus said. You need to be washed and justified and sanctified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Otherwise, if you don't, if you don't repent of your sexual immorality, God is definitely going to bring it out. God will bring it out and God will discipline you through the church, like in 1 Corinthians 5 where they removed a sexually immoral person. So let us not be sexually immoral. Let us not be unholy. Verse 16, unholy like Esau. Verse 14, pursue holiness rather. Don't be unholy like Esau. How was Esau unholy? Well, Esau simply did not care about the future blessings God had in store. He did not care about those. He lived for the moment. What could he have now? Verse 16. He sold his birthright for a single meal. Find that in Genesis 25. And later on when when he when with tears. With tears it says. Afterward verse 17. He desired to inherit the blessing. He was rejected for he found no chance to repent. Though he sought it with tears. And so he had tears later on, and he wished that he could just turn around the bad consequences of his decision. But it was too late. And his, his repentance wasn't real repentance. He wasn't sorry about, about the sin. He was sorry about the consequences of his sin. Like 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10 teaches. Worldly sorrow. So do not be like Esau. Do not throw away your chances. What does it help? What does it help you enjoy the pleasures of sin now, here and now, but you miss heaven? And when you're in hell, you will wish. You can turn around the consequences of your sin, but then it will be too late. For the Bible says no one can go from heaven to hell or from hell to heaven. Luke 16 verse 26. You'll be like Esau, with tears, wishing you can turn around the consequences. So, there you have it. There you have it. You have the options. Would you rather now suffer pain and feel the pain of God's discipline, God disciplining you to keep you on, bring you on the right path and keep you there? Or do you want to avoid the pain of discipline? You continue on the way of sin and you go to hell. So in other words, do you want to be like a child? Would you be like a child? You would rather feel the painful consequences of sin. Or do you want to be that child? You never want a spanking. You do anything to avoid a spanking. But in the end, you become that adult. Just pain and suffering. And all kinds of difficulties in your adult life. Because you weren't disciplined as as a child. And you were taught there won't be consequences for your sin. And now they are. You you just need to look at the cross of Jesus Christ to see that there are consequences. There are drastic consequences for sin. And Jesus took our sin upon himself on the cross. And it's that very same cross that makes God's discipline Not merely to be a honeybee with a sting in its tail. But also to be a honeybee that gives honey. Let's pray. Our Father, oh, many of our people are suffering, going through trials. Some some of it is discipline for sin. Some of it is formative discipline, not for some specific sin, but To teach us a disciplined Christian life. O Lord our God. Help us to endure. Through the discipline and go to the end. To pursue holiness. And to see your face one day. To see our Lord face to face and to rejoice. That you have brought us safely through. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen.